So you will know from listening to this podcast that for a lot of the time I bang on about how listening is so important to business and sales success. Well, on today's show, I've got a real treat for you. And this is going to test your own listening skills because I've got someone who's going to come along and talk about listening at a different level to what you may have experienced so far. That's what's happening on today's show. Hey everybody, this is Trevor Lee and this is episode number 172 of Better Presentations, More Sales podcast. Now on today's show, I've got Michael Reddington. Now Michael uh, runs a company called Inquasive and Michael is a certified forensic interviewer and he is going to share with you some amazing tips and ideas about how to use your listening skills when dealing with your customers, with your colleagues, with your team members in your personal lives, everything about it. It's going to be really, really interesting. So it's going to be well worth the listen. So let's go over and meet Michael. Well, so hello, Michael. Great to have you on the show. Welcome aboard. Thank you for having me, Trevor. It's great to be here with you. Now, Michael, would you like to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're up to, and any any interesting bits of your background and what you're doing now, really. I appreciate you asking. I'll keep it brief to, to spare time for the conversation, I promise. So I'm a certified forensic interviewer and executive resource. So I teach people how to reduce missed opportunities and increase commitments to action by applying strategic and ethical persuasion and observation techniques. So I developed the disciplined listening method by integrating my non-confrontational interview and interrogation background with research and best practices from across the spectrum of business communication, really to put people in a place where they can use the truth to their advantage. And uh, listeners have just heard you say your interrogation background there, Michael. So they're all going to be going, wow, what does that mean that he did? So maybe you could just uh, explain that bit for them. Sure. So for 15 plus, probably a lot closer to 20 years at this point, part of my responsibilities have been to ask people to share the truth about regrettable decisions that they have made. I've certainly found that throughout my career, the vast majority of people I've spoken with, they're not bad people. They're not hardened criminals. I've run into a few that may be closer to that end, but the vast majority of people that I've spoken with are found themselves in a situation where they acted in a way they probably shouldn't have and just encouraging them to tell the truth about that. And it's been a wide range of of conversations that I've had, and I've been very, very grateful and thankful for the opportunity I've had to to do so, pretty large swath of the world along the years. But really, it all comes down to, if you want somebody to tell you something that they've done, and they have any type of fear of consequence, whatever that consequence may be, you'll be surprised what people will tell you when you're nice to them and help them save face. (laughs) I think that's the number one takeaway. When, When people hear interrogation, they generally have one or two reactions. The first one is, stay away from me, we're done. And the second one is, that sounds cool, tell me more. And they're, no matter what camp people fall in, they're often surprised to find out that you know, what we do in real life looks almost like nothing as to what you see on TV and read in the news, because those techniques might be great for drama. But I think in a lot of our conversations, we're really trying to reduce the drama and earn commitments to the truth. So it's a much different feel. Now, your business is called Inquasive. So at what yes, point, Michael, you know, based on what you said about your background, did you, was there a seminal moment when you thought, hey, I can make a business out of this? 
There was. And I was on your side of the Atlantic at that moment. I was leading a course for some CEOs in, in Dublin. So not, not quite where you are, but at least in that general area, a lot closer than where <laughs> I am now. Um, and what really was talking about listening with the group. And as, as we were going through it, not just in the seminar I was teaching, but of course, I think we've all had some very important conversations accidentally, maybe over a beverage or two after work. But as, as those conversations continued as well, those conversations from that event in Dublin really inspired me to start digging. And the more I dug, I came to two realizations that surprised me and completely changed the trajectory of, of where I go and what I do now. And the first is that the very best leaders and the very best interrogators capitalize on the same two core skills, vision and influence. And on the flip side of that coin, and this one may be more surprising, the cognitive process that interrogation suspects experience when they truthfully commit to saying I did it is essentially identical to the cognitive processes that employees experience when they commit to saying I'll do it and customers experience when they commit to saying I'll buy it. So that I did it, I'll do it, I'll buy it. Up here, the process is extremely similar, nearly identical. Yet out in the world, we treat it very differently. So those realizations really inspired me to, to dig deeper and eventually led to the discipline listening method in the creation of Equation. What you say about uh, leaders, you know, vision and, and influence, are you talking about, you know, seeing, seeing the bigger picture, the far ahead, you know, where we want to go and then kind of influencing their people to go with them? Is that, is that, is that the link? Have I got that right? Or is that? It is. And it, the link applies both at, for maybe lack of a better term, the micro and the macro level. So when we think about leaders in organizations, whether it's the, the C-suite or the vice president of sales or whatever it may be, somebody looking at the greater landscape and seeing, okay, this is where we want the organization to go. How are we going to influence people to come there with us? And not just comply, not just feel forced and give us the minimum required effort over the minimum required amount of time to get through this, but really commit to what's necessary in the process. That also holds true on a more micro level, conversation to conversation. And that's where situational awareness really plays such a big role, in, excuse me, in leadership communication, interview and interrogation, business development, sales as well, and really understanding what are the longer, bigger goals that we're looking to achieve and how can every conversation, not even just every conversation, every touch point, whether that's marketing, whether that's an email, whether that's a, a text or SMS message, whether we're just seeing somebody at an event, you know, when it's legal to actually see people at events again, <laughs> you know, all of these, how can every interaction get us one step closer to achieving our long-term goals? And so in the investigations world, it might surprise a lot of people that when my former teammates and I got called in, we were getting called into investigations that were already burning out of control. Lots of mistakes and missteps had likely happened along the way. So not only did we have to come in and figure out the truth, who was responsible for whatever the actions were in the private sector, when we were doing that on behalf of organizations, believe it or not, we were often tasked to use the investigation as a morale boosting tool. Right which sounds bananas to a lot of people like, wait a minute, you're going to interview a bunch of people and that's going to improve morale. But when you think about how these situations had gotten out of control before we got there, how we conduct each one of the conversations can begin to turn around morale and productivity with the organization. So those tie-ins both at the conversational level and at the larger strategic level are there. So what, what I really uh, picked up on there, Michael, was when you said about every interaction because some of the messages that, you know, people will have heard on this podcast previously would be that, you know, 
every interaction is an opportunity. And I think is that that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? An opportunity to, to get closer, learn more. hundred percent. When we talk about listening, one of the things that we talk about, and I imagine this likely lines up in things you've talked about before, is listening for intelligence versus listening for information. So in the business development field, it can be very easy for any team to go out, whether it's business to business or business to customer, whatever it may be, and say, okay, here is the product or solution I want this person to buy today. So if I can just get them to tell me that this is their pain point or this is their goal, then as soon as I hear that, I can give them this pre-rehearsed speech I have, which I feel really good about, by the way, which should hopefully lead them to wanting to make the purchase. That is an information-focused mindset. I'm listening for a predetermined piece of information that I feel sets the green light for me. But now if we start listening for intelligence, how do people deliver the message? What is their word choice? What other indications do they have? Over the period of time and conversations, what else can we learn about themselves and their organization that doesn't just help us get to the next step in the process? Okay, so my goal today is I want to get to the demonstration. Well, if all we're doing is trying to get to the demonstration, we're likely cutting ourselves off at the knees by not thinking even beyond the demonstration as we try to set that up. And that's where listening for intelligence really comes into play. Just one brief example, because I know we're short for time today, and I want to be very respectful of your audience, is if we're having a conversation with somebody and they say something along the lines of, well, we've spoken with our executive team and we all believe that this is a direction we're committed to traveling. That sounds good. Or if we're talking to an executive team and they say, well, this may be something that we have to do. A business development rep could walk out of that conversation feeling like I've got a strong lead because yeah. they both essentially gave the same message but yet they're entirely different and require entirely different follow-up and responses. And if all we're listening for is, okay, they think they need to do this, then we're latching on to the wrong piece of the conversation and likely setting ourselves up for more difficulty. Do you think in business generally, Michael, and maybe sales in particular, that overall we're not that great at listening? We're not. And if it makes you and hopefully your listeners and everybody else feel better, we're not wired to be good listeners. They were literally, our brains are not wired for us to be good listeners. We are wired to listen for information that confirms what we already think and believe. And we're literally wired to disregard information that contradicts what we already think and believe. And to make it worse, we have somewhere around 160 or 170 cognitive biases that filter and impact how we take information and the decisions that we make and, and how we respond. And there are three different research studies, one from Glasgow, getting a little bit closer. I promise I'll actually make it to you with one of these references sooner. <laughs> that says that we are capable of labeling people and judging their trustworthiness between 100 and 500 milliseconds. So we literally carry expectations of value into every conversation that we have. And often we're looking for the very first indication that our expectations are true, whether they're positive or negative. People react the strongest to what they hear first. That's important to remember as we think about how we communicate with our business partners. But it's also important for us to communicate because if we're reacting the strongest to what we're here first, it's like, sailing and leaving port and being a degree off course when we leave. Now, it doesn't feel like a big deal now until we end up in the wrong hemisphere. 
because of how we reacted, perhaps incorrectly or inappropriately, or, or at least with the lack of full information to what we hear first. So it, it literally takes an intentional effort and lots of patience, which many of us, especially in this field, don't have in order to work on developing those listening skills. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, I was doing something recently with an organization and we talked about how, um, like you say, I love this idea of the one degree because um, they were saying, well, you know, a lot of our sales proposals uh, get rejected. And then we discovered that actually they were putting the wrong things forward. And then when we worked it back, we found out that the information that they thought they'd heard from the potential client was actually incorrect. Because like you say, they were so narrowly focused in what they wanted to hear that as soon as there was the trigger, they forgot about everything else and therefore they presented the wrong thing. Do you see that quite quite a bit? I do. And not only in business, but in life. And literally when we are under stress, we go to what we know. So if we find ourselves in a business development conversation and we feel any level of stress, which is normal, by the way, that's not negative, about wanting to close the deal and wanting to build the relationship and not only wanting to move the business forward, but wanting the personal reward, you know, financial and emotional that comes with closing big deals. As the stress mounts to those, we begin to get those blinders on and we can become myopically focused. A phrase that I'll steal from somebody else is target fixation, where you become so fixated on that one target that we think we should be listening for that we want to offer that we lose the rest of that intelligence coming our way. So one of the things we preach, and again, I'm sure this lines up as well, is let the conversation come to you the more we chase a conversation, it can have that reverse magnetic effect and start pushing people away, pushing opportunities away. But by really being patient and letting the conversation come to us, we can learn so much more. And then by learning more, we can, I guess the best way to say it would likely be increase the perception of the value we plan on demonstrating or we offer, because we do know that perception is reality. I love that. Uh, I love that. Let the conversation come to us. I think that's great. Now, on your website, you talk about the fact that prospects and customers continually provide clues. And I think are you, I think what you're suggesting is that we're very good at not picking up those clues. We're not. And the, the research is clear on that. But there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Um, and I, again, I'll try to be quick and you can direct me where you want to go. But the first thing to do that we really preach heavily is stop trying to catch people lying. Like this whole philosophy that's out there that, you know, buyers are liars. Everybody is lying. (laughs) Yeah, well, so are we. Like, why are we so obsessed with that? Let's recalibrate how we think about dishonesty. In any given conversation, people are going to be more motivated to achieve their interests than ours more often than not. Okay, sounds pretty fair to me. We all know that going in, so no surprise. So instead of trying to catch people lying and either A, being wrong, and now being many degrees off course, or B, falling into the emotional pit that happens because now we feel so offended. How dare somebody lie to us when it was probably the last good decision they felt like they had. So how can we blame them for that? Instead, what we should look for and listen for are indications of comfort and discomforts. During the conversation, when does people, when does our counterparts, whether it's our prospects or our customers, or even within our own organization, when does their communication change or deviate from what we've observed to be pretty normal for them in these situations? Now, when their levels of comfort or discomfort change, we can stop and ask ourselves, wait a minute, why did their comfort level change at that moment in time? 
what did I just say? What were they just saying? What's going on in the room around us is knowing that somebody lied is trivia. Good for you. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. What are you going to do with it now? Most of the time, there are some very, there's some outliers to everything, of course. But if we can see that somebody's comfort level changed and based on our situational awareness, have a really strong idea as to what just happened to cause their comfort levels to change and what that means for our conversations and the goals we're trying to achieve. Now we're piling on to the intelligence and putting ourselves in a much better position to steal a word that may be overused, authentically build rapport, authentically demonstrate value and do so in a way that doesn't sound like we're lacking sincerity or just trying to take advantage of something. Sounds, Michael, like as though if you're going to be great in business or great in sales in particular in the modern world, you know, you need to have these really good people skills that you've just been talking about. But, you know, this psychology of people, this watching people, this seeing these changes, that comfort move. Are people out? Is this what is this what your program is about? Is this what is, is this the disciplined listen, listening method? Is this is what you're teaching people? Yeah, we're certainly touching on a lot of it today. We are, Trevor. You, we approach listening as a cycle. So there's the listening piece that we often think about listening, which is that strategic observation. What information are we taking in? There's also the flip side to that coin, which is the persuasive communication. So if you and I were meeting at a coffee shop, how I communicate to you is going to inspire the information you share with me. And then the amount of information I can take and the accuracy of my evaluation and the ability to evaluate it within the, the level of situational awareness or totality of circumstances, as our interview geeks like me would say, now I can continue this cycle to continue to communicate persuasively in a way that demonstrates rapport, that builds sincere trust and allows me to obtain more information. So it really is about both. How do we understand the way our own minds and emotions work so we can position ourselves not only to observe more, but like we said before, separate the intelligence from the information. And while we're doing that, communicate in, a in an ethical, persuasive manner that encourages the additional share of information. I'm going to guess most of the people listening to this conversation try to make the best decision they can at any point in time based on the information they have at that point in time. And the way we often get that information is through our communication and listening skills. So literally developing this cyclical skill set is directly linked to the quality of the decisions that we make and the results we achieve. It's interesting, of course, you know, because uh, we, we will do a video version of this, but most people will, uh, you know, take on board this podcast in an audio format. So they are practicing their listening skills, Michael. <laughs> It'll be good. interesting to see. So listeners, are you listening really well now? Have your listening skills improved since you've been listening to Michael on this podcast? Michael, tell us about what happens if people are interested in working with you. You know, what, for, what formats do you offer? Is, is it possible to give us an overview of how that works? I appreciate you asking, Trevor. Thank you. So at Inquasive, we're an educational organization. So the vast majority of what we do are provide educational programs, long engagement, seminar, workshop programs, shorter engagements, keynote presentations and such, as well as one-on-one -on -one and small group advisory sessions and special projects, things of that sort with individual organizations. People can certainly learn more by going to Inquasive.com. 
for those that are listening and, and can't see the screen, <laughs> that's I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E.com. There's more specifics there about the, the programs we offer and, and the content that we have. And do you, uh, you're working with people virtually, I imagine, as well as locally? For sure. For sure. You know, thankfully, we were working with people virtually before the pandemic struck. So it wasn't a, a shift we had to take on out of the blue, but it has definitely become a, a much bigger piece of what we do. So um, in a minute, Michael, I'm going to ask you for a couple of tips that, you know, li listeners could take away and implement straight away. But uh, before I do that, just just to sort of, you know, kind of summarize this, I suppose. So um, in terms of, you know, again, going back to that vision and influence situation, how, how you know, where does the, how do leaders get involved in this pro, you know, get involved? What, what do you want leaders to do, you know, to, to move their team forward in this environment? That's a great question. And I'll answer it by what I think, my bias alert, my bias, <laughs> uh, is likely one of, if not the biggest communication mistake that we make, all of us, myself included. So oftentimes we will prepare for a conversation, a business development meeting, a team, a staff meeting within our organization, uh, maybe a big presentation or my background, even an investigative interview or interrogation. And we think about the goal we want to achieve or what we want somebody else to do. And then after that, we say to ourselves, okay, what do I need to say to Trevor in order for Trevor to want to do this, in order for Trevor to choose to do this, that's the wrong question. When I say to myself, what do I need to say to Trevor to get Trevor to move in this direction? I'm focusing on myself and what I want to achieve. I'm not focusing on Trevor. So the question leaders should really be asking at that point in the preparation process, if you will, is not what do I need to say to Trevor? It's what does Trevor need to experience in order to commit himself to moving in the direction that I need Trevor and his team or his organization to move into. And now once we change it from what do I need to say or what do I need to do to what does Trevor need to experience, I'm now getting a lot closer to putting myself in your shoes and I'm now reframing this because what I want to say is relatively meaningless. It's how you perceive it. It's how you experience it. It's how you internalize it within your worldview that really matters. And that's something that we often in our business and personal conversations totally miss out on. I need my son to take out the trash. So what do I need to do to tell my son to take out the trash? Well, I can threaten to ground him as much as I want. If he doesn't want to take out the trash, he's not going to do it. <laughs> so what do I need to, what does he need to experience? The same goes. And if I can steal 30 more seconds from you, once or as we're answering that question, what do they need to experience? There's an offshoot of that that's very important as well. A, a co-mistake we often make is when we ask ourselves, what do I need to say? We also would ask ourselves, why should Trevor do this? Why should Trevor want to do what I want him to do? Again, that's a question that falls short because now I'm transposing my perspective onto you and tricking myself into believing I'm really considering your perspective. So instead we ask ourselves the opposite. Why shouldn't Trevor do what I want him to do from his perspective? In his world, his worldview, why shouldn't he want to do this? Okay, cool, I'll answer that. But then I'll ask myself the sister question, why isn't Trevor already doing this? And the answer to that in fairness can fall into one of two categories. The first is you didn't know it was an opportunity. Like I can't blame you for not doing something you didn't know existed. The second one is you don't see the value. Yeah. And then I would need to really break that down. Why don't you see the value in doing it? So 
I probably mentioned these in reverse order. If I think about my goal and what I want to achieve, then I ask myself, why shouldn't Trevor want to do this? Why isn't Trevor already doing this? What does Trevor need to experience in order to commit himself to this? Now I can start building a communication plan, whether that's over in one conversation or more likely over a period of time and series of conversations in order to lead somebody there. This is really interesting. I was delivering a, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday and on, on Monday I delivered a sales pitch uh, session for some young up and coming uh, entrepreneurs from a local university. And one of the things that we uh, we talked about in that was making sure that everything is delivered in a way that it's audience first, you second. And exactly I think what you said there, Michael, about the question is about me as the audience, if you like, or your customer or your, or your, you know, your member of your team, rather than the other way around. Um, this is this is all great. It's all it's all kind of psych, psychology at work, isn't it? A little bit, yes, it is. <laughs> right. So before we wrap up, have you have you got any sort of have you got one or two top tips, Michael, that listeners um, can just take away and implement straight away? Um, and then I'll, I'll put in the show notes all the links to you and your company and everything everything else as well. But any any sort of you know quick things that they could think right as soon as I stop listening to this podcast, I could do that or, or plan to do it. Certainly. So, well, I think certainly, I guess your audience will have the final say in this. The (laughs) the first one is please remember that the most important part of listening is talking. And there's two ways to look at this. One, if we're talking, we're certainly limiting the amount of intelligence that we can obtain because we're not giving the other person the chance to speak. Yes, we can evaluate their reactions to us and there's some opportunities there. But by and large, if we're doing all the talking, we're really limiting our ability to learn. The flip side to that is the single most dangerous conversation that limits our ability to strategically observe our counterparts does not happen out here. It happens between our ears. Literally, I can't possibly have anything more important to say to you than you have to say to yourself. Our internal monologue always wins out. If someone else is talking to us and we're talking to ourselves, we are focusing on our internal monologue which is likely defending something that we already thought or believed, (laughs) likely thinking about what we're going to say next or disagreeing with somebody or focusing on how someone is making us feel at any given time. So really the key to listening starts with limiting our internal monologue. After that, really focus on taking that goal-oriented mindset. It's not about winning or losing. It's not about me versus you. It's about what are the goals I'm looking to achieve and how can, like we said before, how can any interaction get us one step closer to achieving the goal? Because now if I can put my ego in my back pocket and focus on goal achievement, I can limit a lot of these emotional reactions. And when I limit the emotional reactions, I can be more present and productive in the conversation. And I guess the third one I'll leave for you for now is one we already mentioned, but I can't overstress it. Let the conversation come to you. People will be surprised. And I know it sounds obvious, but the more you let people talk, the more you'll learn. I get it. It's true. And it sounds obvious, but the intelligence that we'll get. And one of the other important things to consider is often in many of the conversations we have, people don't script out what they're going to say in advance. They might have an idea depending on the meeting, but they don't script it out or practice it. So when people are talking and creating their thoughts at the same time, often the most important thing they have to say comes at the end or towards the end because they're building their way to it. They're creating this as they go. But if we interrupt them and cut them off along the way, not only do we shut them down, not only do we hurt trust and rapport, 
we're limiting the amount of intelligence we can receive. Michael, that's been absolutely fantastic. So I hope our listeners have really appreciated listening to you. I'm sure they have and taken away those top tips. And I love that last one about, you know, let the conversation come to you, be patient and do all that. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Michael. So thank you very much indeed. I appreciate the invitation, sir. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And I'll put all the links to Michael. And are you happy for people to try and find you on LinkedIn and things like that? Please. The only social media they can really find me on is LinkedIn. Right, so it's LinkedIn, Michael Reddington, CFI. Be happy to connect with any of your listeners as well. Great stuff. And uh, so, yeah, great stuff. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. So thanks again. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. Take care. Be safe. Well, if you're listening to this end bit, then you would have been clearly listening to the rest of the podcast. So I really hope that you've enjoyed that. I'll put all the links that Michael mentioned in the show notes, along with his three top tips about the internal monologue, about every interaction taken as a step closer to success, and about letting the conversation come to us. So that was really, really great stuff. And I'm pretty sure that you will have learned and taken away quite a lot from that. And it ties in so nicely, I think, with a lot of the other stuff that we've been talking about on the show in the last few months. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, hey, Trevor, I've got some great tips as well that would really work for people in the sales and presentation environment, then get in touch. Let's get you on as a guest. So just drop me an email at podcast, well, to podcast at trevorleemedia.com. .co.uk and get you on the show. And if you need some help with your sales or your presentations or your sales pitches, then get in, you know, get in touch and we'll talk about how I might be able to help you. So this is going out on Monday, July the 12th. Last Monday, July the 5th, I was delivering a sales pitch session at an iconic venue. So any of you who followed the G7 conference in Cornwall may have seen the Minac Theatre mentioned. Look it up. It's an amazing place. It's an outdoor theatre venue on the coastal path of Cornwall, on the cliffs of the coastal path of Cornwall, basically carved into the hillside. And I was very fortunate that uh, I was asked by the uh, local university here in Cornwall, Falmouth University, to deliver a sales pitch session for their entrepreneurial students. And they got the Minac Theatre as a venue. It was amazing. It was the first outdoor venue gig I've done since uh, since March well since March 2020 or prior to March 2020 when we went into lockdown. So it was a really refreshing change to be out there delivering live and with real people sat in front of me. And the, and the best thing about it was that um, whilst I was delivering the session, there was a tour going on of the theatre. You know, because you can wander around the seat; it's all banked up, as you can imagine. Have a look at you know, Google it. And there were people wandering, and they were sitting in, and I thought. <laughs> I think they thought I was part of the tour. <laughs> so anyway, there we go. But lesson for you is that you never know when an opportunity might come along. And during the interval, we had an interval because we were at a theatre, and someone came up to me and said, oh, I was really, you know, listening to what you were saying there, and I think uh, I think it might be quite good for, uh, for my team. I'm on holiday, and uh, have you got a business card? <laughs> so, lesson number one. No, I hadn't, because I didn't take any with me. A, because they're slightly out of date, because I haven't been out to see anybody. Um, so I scribbled the notes down, and then when we finished the session, uh, around about midday, again, somebody came up and said, oh, I'm on holiday, you know, and I saw that, and I had, have you got your business card? <laughs> So there's an interesting point, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're doing something, you know, you never know who else might be watching in and listening and thinking that might work for you. 
So there we go. Hope you've enjoyed that. That's episode 172 delivered to you. Now, please do share this podcast. That would be great. And also, if you want to leave a review, that would be special as well. And if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn or mention the podcast on LinkedIn, that would be great. So onwards and upwards. Got another great guest for you lined up next week. See you then.